Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the only podcast guaranteed to give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Nola, (laughs) (laughs) and and alongside me this week, I have a very special guest. His name is Joey. Say hi to everybody, Joey. Hi, everybody. Okay, so this week we are doing... This is what I gotta deal with, you know? (laughs) She's like, let me do the intro, and I'm like, you think so? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is <laughs> off to a great start. Yay! No, I'm having well, fun. I was doing great until you you butted in. Oh yeah. <laughs> Appreciate everybody listening, whether you're doing it on cnjradio.com or whether you're subscribed <laughs> on iTunes. I thank forget you. that you do all this at the beginning. Yes, I thank was do- you. I was doing so good. It, it was good though. It, it was okay, just... it was a good first try. I didn't even we didn't even do multiple takes of this. So there you go. Just... Thank you so much for doing the intro, Nola. So we are on a boat, and you guys are listening to us, and we really appreciate all that. Whether you're doing it on cnjradio.com, you're subscribed to the iTunes feed, either way is great. Wouldn't it be great if there was a radio station on the boat, like in Pirate Radio, the movie? That would be fantastic. Yeah. Maybe we should do that. Yeah, we should. Maybe we, maybe we could do that. that there, there you go. Ooh, Ooh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna. I'm gonna edit some of I'm that gonna, off. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. And yeah, it's uh, you know, we're we're not broadcasting on the boat, even though that would be really cool. That would be fantastic. Uh, but as promised, uh, you are in the midst of a four-parter this week, or for the week and change, or something like that. Yeah, week and a half. Doing our journey through the annals of history. So <laughs> annals. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, pull up a chair. Make sure you're driving safe. Make sure you can see the cars while you jog. Whatever you do while you listen to this show. Nobody jogs. Yeah, they do. They, they jog out there. You know, oh, it's always the people that you don't want to see jogging. Mm-hmm. When I'm driving to work, every other day, there's this dude that jogs. And good for him and everything, but he looks like is, one is of those... Is he wearing, like, those really short, girly, like, Nike running shorts with, like, no shirt, but he's got a hat on? No, he he's he's got the silky uh, girly shorts that are like silk and everything. Mm-hmm. Doesn't wear a shirt, and he looks like one of those guys that's really partied out from the '80s. Is so he he's jiggly? got he's got really long hair, and he jiggles so much. <laughs> it's it's super hypnotic and gross, like a lava lamp. Yes, but but all that aside, <laughs> uh, that guy is the furthest thing from my mind as you're listening to this, because <laughs> myself and my very special lady are on a kiss cruise right now. With the actual band Kiss, so we're taking you kind of on the cruise with us as best as we can, doing this four-part history show. We're on part two. We're going to cover the years 1977 through 1982, the second half of the makeup era, the initial makeup era. Woo! Woo! So starting off the show here, like I said, 1977, the album Love Gun... I don't think I've really showed you this very much, but I just recently obtained this from work. I've got a super awesome-looking mint copy of Love Gun on vinyl now, finally. Yeah, the vinyl's beautiful. It's got the, it's got them right there in the center. Ooh, shiny. Yeah, and the, the sleeve that, that says Kiss and Blood. Why did they do that, you ask? Well, it just so happens they were promoting at the time the Kiss Marvel mm-hmm. comic that was supposedly printed with their blood in the red ink. 
it says right there, 40 pages of full-color comics, plus never-before-published photos and features printed in real kiss blood. Yeah, supposedly. Yeah, but wasn't it like a drop of blood from each guy that was mixed in with like all of the ink? Yeah. So but it becomes so diluted. Yeah, well, of course. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a great gimmicking tool. That's all I got to say. Uh, great quote from the... Kiss Extreme Close-Up Home video, I believe. Uh, Paul Stanley, in all of his... Uh, never never a loss for words. He said, you know what was great about this is that you never saw Marvel Presents the Eagles. So, yeah, there you go. So, we're on the Love Gun album. And there. That great album cover, of course. And, one, uh, one lady. Just yes, a bunch of times. Exactly. This was Ken Kelly of Marvel Comics, his... Special lady, he just copied multiple times over. And you can really tell in the facial features, too, that it's the same lady. Yeah. Looking at it just at a glance, you're just like, I wonder how they got all those ladies to pose in that makeup. That's strange. <laughs> yes. And then you look at it, and you're like, oh, wait. Yes. It's a cool album cover, because it does look like it could be a real photo from mm-hmm. afar, but then the more you pull in, the more you realize it is a drawing. Much like what Destroyer was, but that makes sense, because it was drawn by the same guy. Yeah, same guy. Yeah, so I know... This is a good album. Uh, yes, it is, and this was... Uh, here's a really, like, crazy, sad, and true fact. This was the last Kiss album to feature all four original members playing on it, legitimately. They might have initially said that all four of them were playing on certain albums, but this was really the last one. Like, all four of them played on every song? Yes, absolutely. This is it. And even when they reunited... Still didn't happen. <laughs> so this is it. This is the end of an era, really, as far as the original lineup. Uh, and like like Nola said there, it's a great album. It's got some great tracks on there. It was hard for me to pick a song, but I figured I kind of think I knew what she was going to pick, and I, I was right initially. So by doing that, we're basically just going to play the first two songs off of Love Gun as our first twofer of the night. And the first song we're going to play, this kind of carries back into concert memories. The first time I ever saw Kiss Live was in May, I want to say May 5th, 1990, at the Starplex in Dallas. It was the Hot in the Shade tour. I won free tickets that day from the radio station. And uh, I couldn't get anybody to go with me that was of age, or at least it could be a decent enough guardian for the night. So my mom, the saint that she is, actually took me to the show. She sat in the back of the seats, and I made my way up to the front as best as I could. I got about three-fourths of the way to the front. Not too bad for a, for an 11-year-old. Yeah. There was this really nice couple that let me uh, stand on the seat in front of them. Because, and, you know, you were 11, and they were probably... Yeah, and I wasn't in their way. In their I, 30s. Yeah, exactly. Me, so. me at 11 standing on the seat is just getting over everybody's head. Yeah. And uh, so I had a I had a grand old time... Uh, this was the song they opened up with that night. They came out of the Sphinx's mouth and proceeded to go into this one. This is awesome. I Stole Your Love and follow with that and your favorite off this album, Nola. It's going to be Christine 16. Yes, the great Christine 16. So we'll talk more, but let's kick it off with some music here. I Stole Your Love and Christine 16. <laughs>
right, that was, of course, Kiss with the first two songs off the Love Gun album from 1977. That was I Stole Your Love and Christine 16. Did you enjoy those two songs there, Nola? I did. I love those two songs. Very good. Nice. So I have a little, this is a slight pop quiz, but it's all in fun. Now, we, we said at the beginning of part one that we were just focusing on the studio albums of Kiss, which makes it 20 albums, exactly. Okay. Now, that being said, we're about to jump all the way to 1979's Dynasty, so that's two years. How many other releases do you think came out between Love Gun and Dynasty under Kiss's name? I know you might have a rough idea, but... Two? Six. I was going to say, it's either going to be like none or like ten. Yeah. They put out six different albums under the KISS banner between the studio albums Love Gun and Dynasty. So Love Gun comes out, they're in the peak of their success in the 70s. Oh, I know what they are now, too. I know what four of them are. Yeah, exactly. The label comes in and says, uh, hey, uh, you guys have put out three more studio albums since Alive. Time for Alive, too. And they're like... Oh, yeah, I guess so. Okay. So <laughs> they recorded an album at Budokan in Japan that they wound up not using that was supposed to be alive too. So that album, I've heard the audio, it sounds good, but they didn't think it was as good to use to really follow up Alive. So they decided to do like three or four nights at the Forum in Los Angeles, and that's what Alive 2 wound up being. And then uh, Gene even said he copied the model of ZZ Top's Fandango album mm-hmm. where it's they did half of a side of the album that was live and the other half that was a studio. So they said they didn't want to do any repeats on Alive 2 from the first Alive, so they did a fourth side on the double vinyl with just studio songs. So it's it doesn't count as a studio album still, but I thought that was kind of interesting. I'm sure they could have put a few doubles on there and the fans, they they wouldn't have cared. cared. But they, they wouldn't have cared. I think it would have been fine. Like, hey, let's put Rock and Roll Night on there again or, yeah. or something like that. Don't anyway. they have like 20 versions of Rock and Roll All Night, though? Yeah, they already? do. They do. I'm just using an example. Okay. And so, you know, they, they, they put their first comic book out, like I said. They did two live albums. Then they went and did the Ultra... Best slash worst slash worst again movie, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park is a classic, and it should have been nominated for an Oscar and a Grammy. Wow. Sir. You, uh, they're going to think that I programmed you uh, <laughs> from the last episode. I... I don't know why, but I just... I just always want to watch it. You can watch it any time. I'll watch it every day with you if it makes you happy. Like, I... I I want to put it on a loop and like be be waking up every few hours and just come in at different parts. <laughs> so that way I'm like, oh, it's only been like a few hours since I fell asleep. This is only like five minutes later. Yeah, it's like a week <laughs> later. <laughs> nice, great reference. <laughs> so during that time, the 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 tensions within all four members are completely out of control. Uh, they know that a breakup might be imminent. Now the band says to make amends, they said, well, let's all go and do... Let us go our separate ways and, and do what we think is best on a record for yeah. each of us. Exactly. They still remain in the band as Kiss, because basically Ace and Peter said they want to go do solo albums. 
And then they all said, fine, we'll all do solo albums. We'll all do solo albums under the name Kiss. Well, if you two are doing solo albums, we want to do solo albums. Yeah. But you can't be under your name. You're going to be under our name. And yeah. And and to his credit, one of the guys that was real instrumental in the band early on, a guy named Sean Delaney, who if you read more about the band, you'll hear his name a lot. He, gets, he should get a lot of credit for the success of the band. Uh, he said, I thought the solo albums were a bad idea because it created competition. That competition will ruin the band, and he was absolutely right in retrospect, and it did. Uh, but those solo albums came out. We'll talk about them really briefly. Uh, for those of you who have not heard those albums, if you're getting into the band, you wonder which ones to get, I'd say if I had to rank them in this order, I would say Ace is number one, because nobody was really expecting that. That's why it's probably better than Paul's. Paul's is a very close second to me. I think it's the most Kiss-like. Actually, Ace and Paul's are the most Kiss-like. Paul's is a little more grandiose, a little bit more of an, uh, an exaggeration of what Paul did with Kiss before that. But I think it's a great album. Third goes to Gene. I give him the biggest credit for being the most adventurous, because the styles are all over the place. He does a lot of ballads, which you don't expect from Gene. A lot of his early folky stuff and just his Beatle influence. <laughs> his Beatle influence really shines on it. And it's of course, li- we we always we always seem to forget how how big of a a folk and Beatles fan Gene is. Yes. Or at least I do. And then you bring it up, and I'm like, yeah, he has said that multiple times, hasn't he? Yeah, and it's he always had, fun to me. Exactly. And he had the cavalcade of special guests. You got Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, Janice and Donna Summer, the late Donna Summer now, Jeff Baxter from Steely Dan, Joe Perry from Aerosmith, Bob Seeger playing piano on a couple of tracks, and his then girlfriend at the time, Cher, doing backups on a couple of songs. Uh, so that's a crazy record. I recommend a listen because I don't think you'd be expecting it either. It has some true rock stuff on there, but then the album ends with his cover of When You Wish Upon a Star. So it's all over the place. And Peter's, I'll just say like they said in the book, not really worth mentioning. Not even worthy of a star. But that's my opinion. But moving on. So if they're not on the road, they're not making money because they make a ton of money on the road, even with all the uh, overhead and everything. I mean, that stage show costs a lot of money, it's true. I mean, they probably put like a million into each tour, at least, maybe two. So they're off-road. They're not making as much money as they would have, like, say, in 77, 78, for the Love Gun Live 2 tours. So the label finally put out a best-of compilation, Double Platinum, which is also interesting because they went and remixed a lot of the songs, to give it more of a back-end, uh, big beat, disco being really big at the time, they added more bass to it. There's a disco version of Strutter, Strutter 78, and that, you know, that's a fun song. You've heard Strutter 78, I'm sure you? I have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Well, let's move on so I don't lull Nola to sleep completely. Um, <laughs> moving on to 1979, we have the Dynasty album, two years after Love Gun, and a complete get-up contrast in style, much like every rock band of the 70s. 78, 79 comes around, and it's time for their, what I call the cocaine disco rock albums. And Dynasty is no exception to that. I played something off that a few episodes ago. I played 2000 Man. Yes. Because uh, I was uh, breaking the code of the first intro. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to play that one on here. Uh, This, of course, has the monster hit, I Was Made for Loving You, on it. But we're not going to play that either. Yeah. We found some fun songs you may not have heard otherwise. Nola, what is your song? I picked Sure Know Something. It is one of my favorite songs on the album. It um 
That's one of my favorite Kiss songs. You know, period. Yeah, it's love it. it. It's one of those songs where I heard it a couple of times, and next thing I knew, I knew every word, and I was like, "Yeah!" in the car with them. Yeah. I mean, they don't go "Yeah" in yeah. the song, but that's that's my yeah. generic. I'm singing the song yeah, with exactly. them voice. Exactly, and another song that they gained a new life uh, from the Unplugged album. They played a lot acoustically on the convention tour. If you haven't heard that version, I recommend that as well. But until then, we're going to go with Sure Knows Something. Like a, like we said, great song. My choice is yet another Paul song. Paul's pretty much been running these first two parts, and will continue to pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've He's got... very dominant, and he wouldn't That's have it okay. any other way. He wouldn't have it any other way, exactly. That, that is... is perfectly fine, Paul. You, you keep being you. Yes. <laughs> and another one. This is kind of the, the, the sister to Sure Knows Something. It's a song called Magic Touch. So uh, this might be the first time a lot of you have heard this song. So what, what were you going to say? I was going to say every time I see Magic Touch on the list or whenever you say Magic Touch, I automatically, for no reason whatsoever, go to Magic Man. <laughs> which oh, by I'm, heart. Yeah. By heart, which, is, which I know is completely wrong because, first of all, there's a girl singing it in my head, yeah. not Kiss. Exactly. But I, I want that to happen. That's a good song, too. We could do, like, a crossover. You know, like the split singles where uh, other bands cover other songs. We should get yeah. Heart and Kiss to do a Sure Know Something or Ma- Magic Touch. Magic Touch, Magic Mag- Man. Yeah, exactly. Magic Touch, Magic Man split. Let's make that happen. Maybe if we approach one of them on the cruise, uh, we're talking let's, about uh, this right let, now. Let's hopefully. get Eric to do this. Yeah, there you we'll, go. We'll find Eric. Yeah, there you go. Hey, Hearts on the Road right now. Maybe they can uh, open up the Monster Tour. So uh, until that greatness happens, (laughs) here is Kiss from one of my personal favorite Kiss albums, 1979's Dynasty. Sure knows something. And Magic Touch. I still hear you Come on 
All right, that was Sure Know Something and Magic Touch off of the album that was released the year I was born. Maybe that's why I love it so much. Uh, that, of course, was Kiss. They used Vinnie Poncia to produce that album, which is really funny because this is classic Peter, Chris, and Kiss. He's the whiner. He's always been the complainer. Vinnie Poncia produced Peter's solo album. Peter comes back to the band to do rehearsals for Dynasty, and he says, we're using my producer or I'm not doing it. They're like, okay. Okay, Peter. And the best part about it is the twist is they bring him in. Vinny Ponzi almost immediately says, Peter can't play on this album. He's he's not, he's lost all of his ability to play. <laughs> so after they did the Dirty Living track, that was it. Peter doesn't play on that album at all. So the drums you heard on there was by the guy you see every night. If you watch Late Night with David Letterman, Anton Fig, that's him playing drums. And the same thing would happen on the next album, Unmasked. 100% Anton Fig on the drums. Uh, of course, a great album cover. It's got that uh, Sunday morning cartoon strip going yeah. on for Unmasked, 1980. Um, I know you like this cover a lot. I do like this cover a lot. It's yeah. a fun cover. This is what vinyl really is all about, because in the CD version... I in the uh, Kiss CD ROM of Unmasked. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm holding... Because now here it is, I'm holding the vinyl next to the CD remaster, and that's your vinyl versus CD argument right there. Can't read the dialogue at all. I mean, you have to really, like... Yeah, but now that we have CDs, we have internets and YouTubes and Cheeseburger Cats, so so we can just go onto our internet computers and be like, kiss unmasked art cover and make it as big as we need to. As I say this, I bet you there actually is a YouTube clip where someone actually just goes panel by panel on a mask so you can watch a a slideshow version while one of the songs is playing. I'm sure people have like recreated this into like little mini live action movies on YouTube with their flips and their camera phones. Guaranteed. And uploaded this and I would not be surprised. So much like Dynasty, Unmasked follows in the disco, pop, rock tradition. And and even less so than Dynasty, the hard rock is almost completely gone on Unmasked. So it's basically just an out-and-out pop album. Uh, You know, I remember when I first bought this on cassette, I was like, I don't understand. I don't don't understand what they're doing here. No Pablo Inglis. No Pablo Inglis. But as time has gone on, uh, maybe it's maybe it's just mellowing. I don't know. I appreciate a good pop song now more than ever. I always kind of did, but now. First of all, being an outsider. Secondly, as a girl, yeah. you you have me listen to Kiss Unmasked, and I'm like, ooh, okay. Yeah. I've got I've got some pop songs on here. I've got like a ballad about. Lost a, love a, yeah, and a girl named Shandy. And then I've got like a like a bad cheesy innuendo song with she's so European and oh and all of Gene's songs uh, and even like <laughs> Ace's Torpedo Girl, which I had to see the reaction on your face the first time you heard it. <laughs> I still haven't forgiven you for that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they they did uh, the only single that got released off of this was Shandy, a very catchy song, but. Their star had fallen so much uh, over the last couple of years that it, it didn't chart anywhere except for like Australia, really. And and, and Australia loves them, yes, and they do. and Shandy and, and 
And all on like they they had like four singles out over there. They did oh, a yeah. single for Is That You, Shandy, She's So European, and Talk to Me. Those were all huge over there. Crazy. Their biggest world tour was for this album. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't tour over here at all. Did did they like do New York and then go immediately overseas and then like spent two months in Australia? Exactly. Yeah, that's like exactly what they did. You almost got it to a T, except uh, they did New York, and then they went to England, Wait, and all the European... That's, that's overseas. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, exactly. They did, they did you can't go of... from New York to Australia. That would be like a four-day flight. Yeah, that's madness. <laughs> yeah, so Europe, and then big stuff, and you know, big stadiums in Australia, stuff like that. And uh, Didn't they just like put the stage out in the bush and, and just let all of Australia come to them? Basically, that's how that, that stuff worked out. Ugh. Yeah, that's a great show. Some of the best shows I've ever done. And Eric Card just joined the band. He auditioned, got it, and they knew they had something on their hands with this guy. He was a monster, and he gave him a big kick in the ass. Even though they had just put out a pop album, they are like, we're going to make some great music with this guy. And they did wind up doing such that. But until we finish writing that story, the two songs we're going to play off on Mass. What did you pick, sweetie? I picked Talk To Me. Nice. And that's the first Ace song that we have played on these specials so far. So. I know. So th- no, thanks for bringing Ace into the story. He deserves it. He's almost on his way out of the band at this point. We need to have him on here sometime. Um, yeah, he's got a few more years left after this album. So if that, really, if that, uh, that's that's a fun song. It's it's one of those songs when you first hear it, and you, you some of you who haven't heard this song might say this when you hear it. You're like, well, that song's really cheesy. But, it is. But it will stick the F in your head. Yeah. Rust me on this one. So a good song is a good song. And I picked... What did you pick? I picked What Makes the World Go Round, which is, you know, even on a hardcore fan basis, they're probably scratching their heads now like, wow, that's really kind of out there. I like a lot of songs on here, but... I thought this song was almost even more disco than I was made for loving you. I mean, it's <laughs> just, it's it's blatant, but I almost kind of respect it in that sense that it's got a really catchy chorus, and uh, you know, and if you think I was cheesy before, yeah, I gotta say this from the heart: this song really hits home with me. Every time I hear this song, I immediately think about Nola. No, I think about you when I hear "Talk to Me." Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, until then. Let's, yeah, yeah. Go, go get us some mini pizzas. Okay, we're gonna go get the mini pizzas, and we're gonna listen to "Talk to Me," sung by Ace Frehley, and of course, "What Makes the World Go Round" by Mr. Paul Stanley. Take it away, guys.
Alright, that was Talk to Me and What Makes the World Go Round. Ace keeping it very basic rock. He always had that mentality of not totally... Of keeping it simple, stupid? Yeah, basically, yeah. That That's the whole point. He's like, I didn't want to alienate the rock fans. I wanted them to know that they could at least always come to me for it, no matter how far gone the rest of the band was in the <laughs> pop realm. And weirdly enough, you listen to these songs, and you're like, how could they say this? But Gene says, according to Gene, like, you never realize you're in it while you're in it. Like the bubble of pop. But he's like, yeah, not until you're yeah. out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Not until you're out of it do you realize how far gone you went, and that's what he claims. I, you know, I've never been there, so I don't know. But he said, you know, we all lost sight of who we were, and stuff like that. They haven't gotten their brain back just yet. As we go through more history, we're on to 1981, and uh, you know, there was no pictures of the band when they did the Elder. But if you go look at the cover of the Killers album, a compilation they put out in Europe. You can clearly see Kiss has cut their hair. Gene has a quaff haircut. Oh. Paul's wearing a purple headband with That's his fine. haircut. And, uh, you know, Ace is just like, what am I doing here? I'm not playing on any of these songs anymore because that's true. Ace Ace is very confused looking. Yeah. And uh, on the Killers compilation, which does have four new studio songs in addition to all the best of songs they did for the European and Asian markets, Bob Kulik, who we'll figure into the story a little later here, plays pretty much all the lead guitar on those songs. But then they're doing this album, The Elder, in 1981, and they've written some songs. They have Eric Carr in the band, and according to Eric and Ace and even some other people, they were like, we had the absolute mentality of going in and doing a hard rock, balls-to-the-wall album. They got Bob Ezrin back. It's like, we're going to do Destroyer 2. That was the whole mentality. They made some demos for it. You can go listen to some of those demos online, like songs like Deadly Weapons, which is a huge hard rocket song. A song called It's My Life, which I love that song. That... Isn't that that Bon Jovi song? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a song that wound up being recorded by Wendy O. Williams. I know you're just joking. You're... Yeah. She's a pip, this one. <laughs> And uh, so you listen to those songs, you're like, wow, they were on their way to putting out a metal album because, you know, the new wave of British heavy metal is kicking in. They got to be paying attention to that. They influenced a lot of these bands, so it only makes sense. Carry the torch. Lead the the way. But then uh, all of a sudden, Gene wanted to put this movie out, and then Bob was like, great, let's just do a whole album based off of your movie idea demos start coming out and it, they they next thing you know they're hiring uh monks to chant uh choirs those kind of things uh they're they're using uh, brass instruments on the album and it gets so out of hand but apparently they didn't realize how far gone they had they they really thought this was going to be their big epic cuz you know hey Bob Ezrin just did all these albums for Pink Floyd like the Wall heavy concept albums they were like, who knew that this was going to be one of the biggest bombs in any band's history? This is a massive bomb, The Elder. Well, The Elder is an ideal. It embodies the wisdom of the ages and the power of goodness and knowledge. It's so cheesy. Okay. It just yeah, Go ahead. Nolan's going to give you a dramatic interpretive reading of what it actually says in the gatefold of The Elder. When the earth was young, they were already old. Since the dawn of time, the Elder have watched silently over a virgin world and all its creatures. Now they have assumed the form of mortals, so that they might walk amongst men and guide them. 
the elder are an ideal. They embody the wisdom of the ages and the power of goodness and knowledge. But the elder were not alone in the beginning and are not alone still. Another force has existed eternally. <laughs> oh, there's more. <laughs> I know there's more. Just a little bit more, I promise. And then the torture will end and we'll play well, you good songs. Will we? No, I was kidding. I- I'm totally kidding. Good-ish. Oh, yes. The, the two best songs on the album. Oh, arguably. Go yeah. ahead. In every place and every time, an evil is loosed when its sole purpose is to destroy all that is good. And in every time and every place, it is the task of the elder to find and train a warrior, a champion to conquer the evil. As the looming clouds gather, the council of the elder sit at their ancient table under the sign of the rose. Once again, they must combat the evil that is lurking in darkness and spreading throughout the world. They await the word from Morpheus, the caretaker, whether the boy be deemed ready for the sacred rite of ascension to the Order of the Rose, and for the pronouncement of his sacred duty, the Odyssey begins. Wow. It's it's Buffy. It's Buffy without vampires and a boy instead of girl slayers. Meets uh, Lord Just of the saying. Rings. Just saying. Just well, saying. Like I said, if you play this album on a loop about 20 times over, you can sync this up perfectly to Lord of the Rings. So while you're doing that, we're going to play you uh, our two picks off of The Elder. Believe it or not, we found some. Uh, this is interesting because I, I think anybody that's even seen any footage of this album has seen The World Without Heroes video. Um, that That is actually a really, really good song. It, it's almost so good it sticks out on the album. Yeah, it's almost too good. Yeah. Uh, the song that I chose, I'm going to kick it off with this one, is uh, actually another Ace uh, composition. He, wrote, he co-wrote this song with Gene Simmons. Anton Figg, who we mentioned earlier, and a fellow from New York City named Lou Reed. Yes, that Lou Reed actually contributed lyrics to that and World Without Heroes. So this is an interesting song, and the reason I chose it is because I think it's interesting that basically the track is just Ace on guitar, Bob Ezrin on bass, and Eric Carr on drums. And Eric smokes on this, and the solo that Ace throws down on here is one of the best he's ever done. So it's a good, great way for him to go out, I think. You picked a really nice uh, a song that really harkens more back to the original Kiss. So. It, it feels like a Kiss song. I originally wanted to play Fanfare. I wanted <laughs> the, shortest. the shortest thing <laughs> that I could possibly find off of Elder. And Joey like tied me into a chair and was like, you're going to listen to this and pick a song. I did no such thing. I actually said, well, then pick Odyssey then because it's so over the top. It's... it's it, I I kind of I kind of like but Odyssey. But it's it's five and a half minutes. I didn't right. want to do that to the people. Yeah, the I, people are nice. <laughs> I'm gonna play the Tony Powers version on the show eventually. That's a great song. So I I originally wanted to play Fanfare. I looked at it and was like, I don't I don't even want to give this a chance. Right. Because I'm I'm not in the Kiss bubble. Not I'm not all the way in. Right. You're you're um, enough to go on the cruise. But there but, are, but these not enough fans. to be like, oh, the elders, the best thing ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul Stanley says we still get emails from these fans that say you should do an entire elder tour. To which we respond, no. What are you on? No. Exactly. Those are bad fans, and yeah. they should feel bad. So instead, well, you would love to see a tour <laughs> with the well of the unknown, like an actual well, and uh, space aliens capturing one of the members of the band, and then they shoot the alien ship down. These these were all plans. Wouldn't they take like a, Ace then, since it was 
since he is from space anyway, so yeah. they're like, no, we're taking our child in the space back. Yeah. Taking taking him home back to Jendel where he was born. Yes. Exactly. But anyways, <laughs> going back to the song I picked, yes. Enough Torture. Um, it is just called... It is called I. That's it. it. That's it. I. I. And and it's it feels like a kiss song. Yeah. It's and anthemic. It's, yes. It's it's an anthem. Yeah. Basically. It's yeah. it's a it's definitely an anthem. I feel like had I known about this song while I was playing softball, I would have thrown this on every softball drive into tournaments comp that I ever made. I would put it on our pregame warm up because it's yeah. It's motivational. It's, it's motivational and it's cheesy and it's fun. Yeah, it is very fun. So uh, it should be on somebody's uh, sports uh, collection or even a workout. Yeah. Uh, mix if you're making a workout mix for yourself. Throw this is a good one. throw eye on there. Yeah. Because it's it's not horrible. Now the question remains, and I'm sure the hardcore Kiss fan listening is going to want to know what your answer is. And there's no wrong answer here. There's always a wrong answer. Well, there could be, but um, since we're going to play eye. Are we going to play the single edit of I? Or are we going to play the original Elder album version where you get the conceptual outro for the album? No, that's too long. No no outro? No. Okay, we're just going to go with the single yeah, edit. Yeah, let's, let's just go with the songs. Yeah, let's you, not torture the people. If you want to hear all the serious, crazy acting that... Um, but yeah, just get the album for yourself if you can brave it and you can hear all that other acting at the end of I. So I'm going to play... The single version, that makes sense. We'll do the single yeah. one. That's a good choice. So here you go. This is Kiss from 1981's Music from the Elder. This is Dark Light by Ace Freely and I. <laughs>
Alright, that was KISS from their conceptual Bob Ezrin produced 1981 album, Music from the Elder, Dark Light, and I. Maybe they should have added parentheses and put Believe in Me. Yeah. yeah I don't know. but That would have been too cheesy, though. Yeah. But uh, that whole album was a complete flop. Any fans they had left over pretty much disappeared after that. Uh, that was it. They might have just had to call it a day after that. Uh, they decided they're going to go in the studio. Hey, we have a new drummer who can play like John Bonham. Let's actually do that this Let's time. Let's let him play drums. Yeah, and how. Uh, Creatures of the Night from 1982 is a beautiful example of pushing the panic button and getting back to your roots. This album is heavy as hell. It's the heaviest album they really have ever done. Is it heavier than hell? Yes. It is heavier than hell. Is it hotter than hell? It's heavier than hotter than hell. Even it is a it is a really just a metal album. It's it's no no apologies. All it's just and use the term dinosaur rock. That sounds negative, but it just sounds like a big dinosaur just plowing through like a town. clomping through. Exactly, and that's what this album is. Like a like Godzilla. Exactly. Like Jean's boots. It is the Godzilla Jean boot just going through town, and that's what this album is. When did those Godzilla boots emerge? Uh, the Godzilla boots started really early on. As uh, see, Destroyer. He started wearing the Godzilla boots on Destroyer. Okay. So yeah. Just just asking. No, that that's a very good question actually. <laughs> so, um, Creature of the Night also one of the best album covers they've ever done. I like the uh, glowy glowy eyes. The warming glowing warming glow of their eyes. Yes, absolutely. I like that Eric Carr is on top of it because this really is his album in my opinion. You know he didn't really write anything on here but he plays his nuts off and uh, and ace is pictured on here but he's not on it at all (laughs) i feel Um, like a lot of ace isn't being shown i know probably percentage wise there's less of paul's face than there is aces but the fact that gene and paul and eric are all right there around him yeah it looks like he's kind of shrinking away yeah it's almost like he's being pushed out maybe Yeah. yeah Yeah. yeah, perhaps. Yeah, and uh, you know, Ace had such a huge fan base; they were really gun shy on finally just saying, you know, you gotta go. They really left it up to him. Uh, Ace said that they took a plane ride during a promotional tour of Creatures of the Night, and he said if Paul had actually asked me once to stay in the band, I actually would have considered it, but he never did. So that's how strained they were at that time. Very sad. But basically, they did the album as a trio. They had some hired guns come in here. And all the time, they're trying to audition Ace's replacement, and they're not having any luck. The only reason that Vinnie Vincent wound up getting the job, according to them, was he was there more than anybody else. He could write a song, but personality-wise, they never clicked. But he was—he became the guitarist by default. They finished the first... He, he, was, a good, he was a good bridge. Yeah. Then he did his job well. Yeah, he, he definitely helped them out in writing. If you look at the, the writing credits on the back, you can see that he did do his job on here. Oh, I've got the Japanese vinyl version. Oh, you so. don't have the writing credits on the back. Well, yeah, but I do see that this album was dedicated to Neil Bogart, president of Casablanca Records, who died of cancer the year they put this out. So a tough year for them. Uh, the guy, that one of the first people that really believed in this band, passes away. And, like, between that and the fiasco that was The Elder, tough year for them. So I think that's why a lot of the rage was on Creatures. And, yes, Vinnie Vincent writing under the name, his uh, legal name, Vincent Cusano. So uh, Vinnie has a lot of rights on here. And I know I've played one of these songs on the show before. Yeah, he had three major rights on here. 
And not that they were the heaviest songs on the album. The guy that wrote the two heaviest songs on the album, along with Gene, was a uh, young fellow at the time named Brian Adams. <laughs> Brian Adams co-wrote Rock and Roll Hell and War Machine. How crazy is that? But yeah, they're using all these crazy new writers. A guy named Adam Mitchell, who wrote some great songs for him. So you have Adam Mitchell, Vinnie Vincent, Brian Adams. But out of all that came this heavy metal album. Let's play some obvious tracks in history, because I think it really... They're important tracks in history. Very important. It really gets the point across on how heavy this album is. I know, without hesitation, I know you picked this one right away, and rightfully so. What are you going to play here, Nola? I picked I Love It Loud. Yeah, another great anthem. Uh, good sports anthem, if you will. Yeah. Uh, great sing-along. I, I, I wish they would never drop this song live. They do occasionally. I would always love to hear it live, because it's just that kind of a song. And uh, I'm going to play a song that I played back on the Avengers episode, but this also really puts forward just how much of a ridiculous drummer Eric Carr was. So here you go. This is I Live It Loud and War Machine.
Alright, that was I Love It Loud and War Machine off of Creatures of the Night in 1982. Yes, very Yay. good. My brother was born that year. Oh, nice. Yes. Yes. What, what, which one? Ross. Ross, alright. Ross was born in 82. That's it. That's ten songs, baby. We've already done part two. That's... Isn't that weird? It's flying by. Yeah, it is. They're sailing along as we are. Wow. So this concludes part two of Too Much Kiss. Uh, tune into the next episode, which should be airing in the next few days. We're getting into the 80s, the non-makeup, the MTV territory. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you were alive in the 80s, you know you're going to want to come along for this one, right? I suppose so. Yeah, I know. We're, we're I, getting to I, you being born I, on part three. I came in in the end, and uh, yeah, and I'm kind of glad that I didn't have to be a teenager in the '80s. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah. Tune in next time on WNBC. <laughs> yes, WN. <laughs> but yeah, tune into part three. We're gonna play some known singles and some obscure album favorites, just like we have done on these first two parts of Too Much Kiss massive four-parter here with myself and nola let us know what you think of these episodes go to cnjradio.com what do i link there on cnj radio you uh, help me out here. there's so much stuff now you link to your twitter now yes. at rock strikes 10 yes. so please tweet us you can find links to the facebook also rock strikes 10 come like us share us with your friends share us with like-minded people you can... And the email, joey at cnjradio.com. And by doing this, I think you've earned your own email account. If you really Yay. want one, do you really want one? Yes, I do. Okay. So everybody out there, don't email Joey. Email me, nola, at cnjradio.com. Maybe maybe it's not up yet, but keep checking cnjradio.com to see if that link is on there. Just keep okay. checking every day until it does. Yeah. So, so only harmless stalkers. I don't want any of this other <laughs> bullshit, okay? This is my lady, and we will have issues. We will have words. You be effing... We will get Sean Devari after you. There you go. Be effing respectful, okay? So that's the catch, all right? Okay. All right. I won't email myself vulgar things. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, until then, we'll see you guys on part three. Have fun. Thanks.